And so I invite you to listen to God's word, Psalm 132, a song of ascents. O Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. He swore an oath to the Lord and made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place. You and the ark of your might, may your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it from his, for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor will I satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints will ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown on his head will be resplendent. Let me pray. Father in heaven, as we come to hear you speak to us, I pray that you would give us spiritual ears to hear, that we would hear the truth of your word, the power of your gospel. Lord, for those who gather today as as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, Lord, let us see your power at work. Let us hear the certainty of your promises. Let us find comfort in your word. And Lord, for those who gather with us without knowledge of Jesus as Savior, I pray that as we hear the gospel in this psalm, as we are pointed toward Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King, that you would give faith to those who have come without it, that you would grant them the the joy of knowing you, that you would bring each one to a place of repentance, asking forgiveness for their sins, turning from sin and turning to Jesus. Father in heaven, we rejoice that you are the God who has spoken to us. You are the God who has made yourself known. And so, Lord, let us hear your word. Let us hear it clearly. Father in heaven, we come praying in Jesus' name. Amen. David's story is familiar to many of us. David is the shepherd who fights lions and bears. David is the hero who topples a giant. David is the valiant warrior. David, the promised king. And our psalm, Psalm 132, rests on the promise of David. The promise made by David and the promise made to David. We see the the prayer of Psalm 132 in verses 1 and 10. These two verses are the direct speaking of the psalmist to God. The prayer is, O Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured of verse 1. And in verse 10, For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. These two verses framed as as a prayer frame the remainder of the psalm to describe the the work that David did. David is the one who made an oath, and so the psalmist comes, O Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. The psalmist describes David's ministry. David, verse 2, we're told, swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the Mighty One. And what is David's vow? That, That he would not rest, 
He wouldn't sleep. He, he would build a house for the Lord. Now, we have to remember where David fits in the storyline of the Bible, the storyline of God's work of salvation. The people of God had been slaves in Egypt, rescued by God, and God gave them an ark, an ark of the covenant, which they built. It was the place where God met with them. It was the place of sacrifice. And this ark traveled with the people of God through their desert wanderings, was kept in a tent, the tabernacle. But David, now having secured his own kingdom, captured the city of Jerusalem, David has built a a house for himself, a palace, and so he decides God himself needs a house. Not a mere tent, not a tabernacle. And so David, with joy, with excitement, brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. David dancing before the Lord, celebrating what God had done. David made that promise that he would build a house for God. He's bringing the Ark into the the city of God, to Zion, the place of God. Now we see in in verse 6 the announcement that is made in Ephrathah, the the, the region, and we come to, into the fields of Jar. Now, if your biblical geography needs a little reminder, my Bible actually gives me a footnote to explain where's Jar. And so my Bible gives the footnote, that is Kiriath Yaharim. Okay, well now we need to find a map and look up where Kiriath Yaharim is and figure out using a Bible concordance or dictionary, why is this place mentioned? Well, because that's the place during the reign of Saul, the king before David, where the ark was left. Kiriath Yaharim, where it was ignored and forgotten, where it was put on mothballs, and, and the people turned and did their own thing. And so David, after the decades that the ark has been ignored, David goes and he brings the ark, brings it into the, into the city of God. He brings the tabernacle and sets it up, giving praise to God, bringing sacrifices. And so the, the people of God then, in verses 7, 8, and 9, are, are called to join in worship. Let us go to his dwelling place. Remember, this is a pilgrim psalm. This is a psalm where the people of God are are marching that same path up to Jerusalem for their annual feasts. Let us go to the dwelling place of God. Let us worship God at his footstool. And it's God reigns in heaven, and so Jerusalem, the earth, is his footstool where his feet rest. That's where we can meet with God. And so Psalm 132 is built on the success of David. O Lord, remember David, all the hardships he endured. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. David's story is familiar to us. We know his success. But David's story is familiar to us. We know his failures. Like the characters of Scripture, we are not given a a rosy picture of David. We are shown the, the sinfulness, the brokenness of David. And so when we hear his name, we're reminded that that when his kingdom was established and he sent his armies out to war, there was a springtime when David stayed home. He found a woman to take as his own, wrongfully, another man's wife, Bathsheba. And then David's sin begins to spiral as he, as he lies about it. He tries to cover it up. He commits murder to cover up his sin. We know David's failures. We can see it in the, the rebellion of his sons, his son Amnon, destroying his daughter's honor, destroying the family. The rebellion of of David's son Absalom trying to take the throne from his father. Even in Solomon, the one who would build the temple, the one who would use the words of Psalm 132 in the dedication of the temple, who would sing this song in bringing the the temple to the people of God in, in, in seeing God's salvation. We 
even in Solomon, see sinfulness and rebellion. And by the time of David's grandson, Rehoboam, the kingdom is split. And we see it in the failure of the sons and grandsons who will follow as they turn from God. We see the failure of David in the exile as the last king of Judah is taken prisoner, as the kingdom is destroyed. This pilgrim song was sung at all of those periods. It was sung at the dedication of the temple by Solomon. It was sung as the, as the people went through the faithlessness of their kings. They still came and they sang this song, O Lord, remember David. This is the song that was sung when the exiles returned to the land to find the city and the temple in ruins. O Lord, remember David. And so we're left with the question, will the oath of David, will the promise of David hold true? Psalm 132 forces us to to think through how we should respond when it appears that God's plan is about to fail. This is a song for pilgrim people, people who look around at their lives and think, I don't see evidence anymore of God at work. I see the brokenness, the failure, the pain, the sorrow of life, but, but I don't know if God remembers. It's a song in which trust is being placed in David and his descendants, and it feels futile, hopeless. We feel the futility when we come to a song like this. It, this week I was reminded of a, of a news story of an ultramarathoner attempting to, to make a significant run to accomplish a feat. He, Reza Bellucci, has, has traveled around the world to, to raise awareness by his, his running, and, and just the phrase ultramarathoner frightens me a little bit. But then the description of what he was trying to accomplish. He started in Florida, and he was planning to run to Bermuda. Okay, now we've already talked a little bit about geography, but there is no way to run from Florida to the island of Bermuda. And so Reza's plan was to get inside an inflatable bubble and run. Basically, it was described by the Coast Guard as a human-sized floating hamster wheel. Now, he attempted this back in 2013. He was rescued. Helicopters had to be sent for him. He didn't make it very far. He actually tried it again in April of this year, despite being told by the Coast Guard, do not do it. He lasted for a few days in the heat. He's in a bubble in the Atlantic Ocean. It's more than 100 degrees in there. He was going to survive by catching fish on his way. It, he was expecting this was going to take him months. He only lasted a few days the first time, and I think a few hours the most recent time. I mean, the, the Coast Guard spokesman, when describing it, he says part of his effort was to make world peace, but he got caught up in the Gulf Stream And the chances of muscling your way out of the Gulf Stream are pretty low. I mean, that's an understatement. He was trying to run from Florida to Bermuda. I mean, just to hear it, it sounds like nonsense. That's how the newscasters, when they had to put a picture of a guy in a giant hamster bubble floating off the coast of Miami, that's how the newscasters had to to describe it as silly, foolish, stupid, It's futile. There's no possibility this will work. And yet, that's how we feel when we read 
Psalm 132. O Lord, remember David. David, the man after your own heart. David, yes, the great king. David, the valiant warrior, but David. David, the failed sinner. David, the failed father. David, the broken man. Remember David. We come to a place where the promise of David, the oath that he makes, carries little weight for us. Now, I've said that verses 1 and 10 are the framework, the prayer that framed the psalm, but thankfully, the psalm does not end with verse 10. The second half of the psalm, actually, and you may have heard it as I was reading it, repeats the language. It follows the pattern of the first half of the psalm. In the first half of the psalm, you have the oath, the promise of David. In the second half of the psalm, you have the oath, the promise to David. The oath, the promise of God, and it follows the pattern. And, and look with me at the, at the parallels here. You'll need to have your Bible open to be, to be able to kind of jump here between the, the verses. But, but look at verse 2. David swore an oath to the Lord. Now verse 11. The Lord swore an oath to David. The parallel is clear. The psalmist is setting us up to see the, the contrast between the two. In verse 5, David is describing that he will find a, a dwelling for the Lord. In verse 13, the Lord says that he has desired Zion as his dwelling. In verse 7, the the call to worship is is put out that the people are are invited to worship God, to bless God. But in verse 15, we find that it is God who will bless the people, God who will bless the city. In verse 9, and perhaps this is where the language is closest, the parallel is clearest, in verse 9 we have a description of the, the priest's being clothed, and the saints singing for joy. And verse 16 repeats this, that I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints will ever sing for joy. There is a purposeful repetition of the pattern of David's oath with the promise of God. David's promise is overwhelmed by the bigger promise of God. Because notice that there's not only a repetition, it actually gets better. The promise of David is significant, but the promise of God is is even better. There's a a purposeful, heightened fulfillment of God's oath. I mean, David makes an oath to the Lord, an oath actually that he ends up not being able by God's command to keep. He says, I won't even sleep until I build the temple. And then God tells him, actually, you're not going to build the temple. Get the stuff ready. My son will build the temple. So David is incapable of fulfilling this oath just because of his his humanity. God has told him, your son will do it. And so Solomon is the one who builds the temple. But look at verse 11. The Lord swore an oath to David. What kind of oath? Is it an oath like David's that could be broken? Verse 11 says, it is a sure oath that God will not revoke. David's promise is swallowed by God's greater promise. We see that God, David, is going to make a dwelling place for God, and then God says that he has desired this to be his dwelling place. Verse 14, this is my resting place forever and ever. David wants to build a building, and God says, I am building an everlasting kingdom. David's promise is overwhelmed by God's greater promise. We see it when when the people are invited to worship and God will will pour out blessings, blessings with abundant provisions. God will take care of of the poor. 
We see it in the, the prayer that the priests be clothed with righteousness. The saints sing for joy from verse 9 becomes verse 16. That God says, I will clothe her priests with salvation. Her saints will ever sing for joy. Forever this will take place. Do you see the heightened fulfillment? The comparison from the, the, the first half of the psalm, David's promise to the, the greater part of the psalm, God's promise? Do you see how God's promise, it overwhelms. God's promises in this psalm are actually bigger than the prayers being brought to God. The psalmist is coming to God. God, remember the, the promise that David made to you. And God says, I will remember the promise I made to him. God, will you dwell in this house? And God says, I will reign forever. God's promises are bigger than our prayers. God will keep this promise forever and ever. And it's good that God's promises are bigger than our prayers because God's promises are also bigger than our failures. In the promise that is quoted in verses 11 and 12 causes us to step back and, and wonder, will this promise be kept? The Lord swore an oath to David, verse 11, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne if your sons keep my commandment, commandment, covenant, and the statutes I teach him, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. Oh, if? Only if the sons of David keep the covenant? Well, now we know the, the whole story unravels. Yes, there are a few faithful grandsons of David, but they are few and far between, and they are not enough to stop the stem of, the, 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 the overwhelming judgment that God brings against the sin of the people of God. If your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. It's conditional. It's conditional here upon the, the promise is conditional upon the, the obedience of the sons. And it's necessary for us to see the conditional character of the promises of God because it reminds us how important our obedience is. How important it is for us when we hear that God is the God who is making a promise to us, that we respond to him in love, that we turn to him, that we obey him, that we, that we trust him. But the conditional aspect, which is highlighted here in Psalm 132, also exposes to us our failure, our futility, it's like running in a bubble trying to get to Bermuda. He might as well just get on a hamster wheel knowing he's not going anywhere. And so we need to be reminded that yes, there are times when, scriptures, when the Scriptures remind us of our response that's needed to the covenant promises of God, but then there are times that God just overwhelms us and says, despite your sinfulness, in the face of your sinfulness, I will still keep my promise. And so we can turn back, and I invite you to do this with me in your Bibles, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going backwards in history to the time of David, the books of First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament. So this is closer to the beginning of your Bible. The books of First and Second Samuel describe the, the, the time of the people of Israel, and they're named after one of the prominent prophets of the time, Samuel. And so it tells us the story of Saul, the first king's unfaithfulness, and then it tells us the story of David. We find in the books of Samuel the, the heroic deeds of David, and then we turn here to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we find God's promise to David. Listen to 2 Samuel 7 verse 1. 
After the king was settled in his palace, after King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Here we are in that moment where David is making the vow of Psalm 132 that David will not rest until God's temple is built. But then the word of God is brought to David through Nathan the prophet where God says, no, you, you have to wait. You will not be the one, you the warrior king, to build the, the temple. It will be your son after you. But in the face of David's promise to God, we, we, we have here in 2 Samuel 7 the pattern of Psalm 132. David says, God, I'm going to build a house for you. And God says, no, my promise is even bigger and better than that. The promise of God overwhelms David's promise here. And this is what it is. Look at verse 11, the second half of verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Did you hear the the conditional promise of Psalm 132, which reminds us that we are helpless and hopeless, reminds us that we have to respond to God. The conditional promise is really rooted here in the unconditional promise of God. God says, I know your sons will fail. I know you can't keep this covenant. I know it will not last. Even for David, it's just a few chapters before we see his life spiral into sin from 2 Samuel 7. But we have the beauty of 2 Samuel 7, verse 15, where God says, But my love will never be taken away from him. Your house, your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. The promise of God is that God's grace overwhelms our sin. God's promise overwhelms our failures. God's promise overwhelms our weakness. And that's the promised hope that, that Psalm 132 is really pointing us toward. The prayer of verse 10 is, for the sake of your, David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. Do not reject the Messiah. That's the language there. Do not reject the anointed king, the chosen king who will come. It's the, the promise that is fulfilled then in verse 17, where God says, I will make a horn grow for David, where God is saying that he will establish the king in certainty and security. I will set up a lamp for my anointed one. You see, Psalm 132 is looking for the promise of God's anointed being sent in the line of David. It's the promise of a divine Messiah. Yes, a king who reigns in David's line, a human king, but a divine king. God's plan will be fulfilled despite the failures of David. God's promise will stand secure. And the promise that is given to David is, is a theme that is echoed throughout the Scriptures. The New Testament picks up on this theme, that the promised Messiah will come from God to rescue his people Israel. When we turn to the, to the beginning of the New Testament, 
we hear the story of Jesus, this is how Matthew begins his gospel. His gospel is a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. This is the story of Jesus, Jesus Messiah, Jesus the anointed king. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Here is the promise being fulfilled. The promise can't be fulfilled through David's David's descendants. It can't be fulfilled through the, the sinful men that come. And so God himself intervenes to send Jesus the true son of David, the son of God. It's the, the cry that comes out up from the people throughout the Gospels. When, when sinners encounter Jesus, they, they cry out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. That's the cry of mercy from Scripture, is to Jesus as the son of David. It's echoed throughout the writings of the apostles. It's, it's found in the, the preaching of the apostles. So turn with me to Acts chapter 13. I've already had you turn to the front of your Bibles. Now turn toward the back to Acts chapter 13. The book of Acts follows the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then Acts is the story of God at work through the church after Jesus' resurrection. And here we we listen to a portion of, of the Apostle Paul's preaching. Acts chapter 13 Let me begin in in verse 22, picking up the story of David. Acts 13, 22. After removing Saul, God made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. I mean, do you see the, the teaching of the New Testament is that the promise that is given to us in Psalm 132 that there is coming a divine Messiah is fulfilled in Jesus the Savior just as God has promised. We hear the the truth of what happened to Jesus as Paul's sermon continues. Look at verse 27. The people of Jerusalem, their rulers, did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, They asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now witnesses to our people. See, Jesus, the promised Messiah, is the one who died in the place of sinners, the one whom God raised from the dead. And and Paul's sermon continues, Acts 13, verse 32. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has now fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Verse 36, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through whom everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Do you hear the good news? Apart from Jesus, there is no forgiveness. If Psalm 132 ended at verse 10, we would have little hope. But God's promises overwhelm the failed promises of David. God's strong promises overwhelm the weak promises of David. God's purposes do not fail. 
forgiveness is found in Jesus. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Son of David. And so our Psalm 132 gives us a, a pattern of how we can respond when we feel like God's promises might be failing. We are meant to gather together to worship God with His people. We are called to go up to the dwelling place of God, to go to the place where God meets His people, to go to the place where God forgives sins. We are called to come and find our hope in Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Son of David. And so we sing together to remember the promises of God. We pray, and our prayers should reflect the, the, the strong and certain promises of God. Because when we cannot see the fulfillment of the promise, we can still believe. David swore an oath to the Lord. But the Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. Even when we don't see him at work, God's purposes still hold true. In 1912, medical missionary Dr. William Leslie went to live and minister to tribal people in a remote corner of the Democratic Republic of Congo. After 17 years, he had established a missions base. He'd worked hard, tirelessly to teach the people. He'd built a small hospital. But after 17 years, when it was time for him to return to the U.S., he had not seen fruit from his ministry, from his years of serving. So he returned a discouraged man believing that he had failed to make an impact for Christ. He died nine years later. Then in 2010, with the help of Mission Aviation Fellowship, a new missions agency went to reconnect with the tribes, to begin a, a new work. They described their, their travels. They had to fly east from the, 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 the town to a small village, a two-and-a-half-an-hour flight, in their Cessna. After they reached the town of Vanga, they hiked a mile to the Quila River. They used dugout canoes to cross the half-mile-wide river. Then they hiked another 10 miles deep into the jungle to find the first village of the Yansi people. When they arrived, they found the unexpected. There were no reports that anyone here knew the gospel. And yet they found in these villages a network of reproducing gospel-preaching churches. Each village had its own gospel choir, although that's not how they described them. And they would actually have gospel concerts. They would have sing-offs between the villages. Each town had a church. They didn't have a Bible in their own language. They had to use a, a French Bible. So they, they worked to send someone each repeatedly to, to learn French so that they could come back and teach the gospel message. They couldn't even remember the, the story of the missionary who had first told their people. They just knew the name Leslie. But they didn't know if it was a first name or a last name. But they knew the gospel. The, the missionaries who went actually found a church building made of stone in the jungle that could seat a thousand worshipers. Dr. Leslie thought he had failed. He didn't see the fruit of his labors. He needed the promises of Psalm 132 that when we look around and don't see God at work, God's promises hold true. God is still at work. God's promises are bigger than our prayers. God's promises are bigger than our failures. God's promises are bigger than our weakness. 
God's efforts are huge. And Psalm 132 reminds us that the king, the promised Messiah, the divine rescuer has come. The king, Jesus, will receive his crown. King Jesus will reign on his throne forever and ever. And so put your hope in Jesus the King, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus our Rescuer. I ask you to bow your heads as I pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice in your gospel. We rejoice in the power of your word. Lord, we come, some of us caught in the the depths of despair, some of us feeling the, the weakness and brokenness of our own lives, some of us bearing the, even the weight of the sin of others. So we come as people who are desperate for your promises to be true. Lord, convince us through the, this hearing of your word, convince us by the work of your spirit in our lives that you are the God who is active, that your promises hold true, that even in the face of David's failure, even in the face of my failure, your promise overwhelms. Your grace is greater than my sin. Your love reaches to the heavens. Lord, your your love is expansive, and so let us feel the depth of your love, the certainty of your promise. Lord, grant faith to those who listen today who have not turned to Jesus, who have not found their hope in our divine Messiah, Jesus, your Son, Jesus, the Son of David. Let us find our hope and our trust in him, Father in heaven, we come not clinging to our own righteousness. We come clinging to the goodness, the grace, the mercy of Jesus. We declare that he is our king, and we pray in his name. Amen.